who wants to play video games? Daddy, why did you eat my fries? I bought them and they were mine. Who are you guys? We're Finn and Jake. We're your friends. You're a psycho jerk and you ruined my life. I never said you had to be perfect. Now I have a memory of your memory and my memory. You don't remember anything, do you? Oh, Marceline. I never know what's gonna set you off. Did I look pretty fly? Why is everybody messing with me? We have a long history together. It's it's a long story. <gasps> Hello, Conversation Cateers. This is Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast. I am John Moe, here alongside my co-host, rapper and host of the Secret Skin podcast, Open Mike Eagle. Hello, Mike. Hi, John. Uh, am I also a Conversation Kateer, or is that exclusively for the listeners? Yes, we, we are the lead Kateers of the nice. Conversation Kateer, yeah, of the entire battalion of Kateers. We get the biggest ears and sword. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a combination of Mouse Kateers and Musketeers, and with an emphasis on ear size and sword play. That's what I was hoping for. But this is our last episode of this season, and I'm so happy that later on on this one, we'll get to hear from executive producer of Adventure Time, Adam Muto. He talks to us a little bit about the Mushroom War. Is, is Apocalypse the end of the world? I mean, <laughs> uh, obviously it is, but is, is that the end of everything, or is it just sort of a new, a new chapter, and then the cycle kind of renews itself? That's Adam Muto. He's the person in charge of Adventure Time. We'll hear from him in just a bit. But first, we got some talking to do of our own. Right. So what we're going to do today, in light of the Stakes miniseries, the eight-parter primarily about Marceline, uh, we're going to talk about other characters from the universe of Adventure Time whom we hope would have a miniseries as well. Did you have any rubric for how you chose your people who you think could serve to uh, could serve a miniseries well? That's a good question. I, I thought about, like, I kind of started with some of my favorite characters, and then I n- narrowed down, I kind of tossed out the ones that I thought, well, I don't know really how far that could go to a really imaginative place. Like, I love the snow golem. I don't think I need an eight-parter about the snow golem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I kind of started from a similar place, except I think I, uh, I whittled my list down via who's backstory i think would be the most interesting okay um, and it's not that marceline's was strictly focused on a backstory but um i thought that was probably the most compelling part for me mm-hmm. so you know uh, of course ice king is one of my favorite characters and, and an ice king miniseries would probably be great but um we've seen so much of his history already right that I, I wouldn't i took him off of the list let's count them down i'll start with my number five here and my, my number five character from Adventure Time whom I would like to see a miniseries based on is Toronto. Mo stars means Mo Dash. There's questions. Did Toronto go to law school? Where <laughs> where is the law school in the land of Ooh? And here's what I want to know about about Toronto, because we saw the King of Ooh at Tree Trunk's wedding flying around in that dirigible. And Toronto wasn't a part of it then. So he must have hooked up with the King of Ooh at some point after that. And I want to know if he's scamming the King of Ooh in some way. Hmm. Because he's, if he's an attorney or purports to be an attorney or could pull off enough of a ruse that, that somebody would believe he was an attorney, then, uh, then I think he could maybe fool the King of Ooh. And we see uh, at the end of the most recent set of episodes, 
he's the one who makes off with some treasure from the bubblegum kingdom while the king of Wu melts into a, becomes just the king of goo, just a big pile of, of melted wax. So I wonder if that was his angle all along, if he was running a long con. Yeah, he did spend a lot of time choosing jewelry. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the jewelry that was in front of him didn't fit him correctly, but he found very nice pieces. It seemed to, uh, it seemed to suit him very well. My dearest hope is that there actually is a law school, and so we get like a paper chase kind of uh, storyline with with this squirrel going to law school and studying hard and having difficult professors. <laughs> I would like like the first six episodes of the eight story arc to be about the struggles of a squirrel going to law school in Canada. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, all right, so Toronto's my number five. Who do you have at number five? Uh, coincidentally, and this is this is so funny, folks. We did not plan this, but now my number five is the King of Ooh. The himself. King of Ooh. It is the King of Ooh. <laughs> I'm a princess. I'm a princess. I'm a princess. Uh, now, the way I've structured these, I'm pitching them to you. Okay, you're, okay. You're a Cartoon Network exec, and I'm going to pitch these to you. All right, okay? lay them on me. Okay, so the name of his miniseries is Hot Airs. Okay. Now we're going to see him meet Toronto. Uh huh. We're also going to see him get his very first perm. Mmm. You know, he's so put together now, but we get to see the beginning of that. We learn the origin of his kingship. Uh, and apparently, when I was researching, he is made of earwax, but we get to see from oh. whose ear that wax came. Oh, yeah. Is that why he's kind of yellowish and gross? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why he's yellowish and gross. So when they call when they say you're earwax, that's not a put down. That's a, merely a statement of fact. <laughs> exactly, it's literal. Oh, it's God. quite literal. Oh, yeah. What what creature produces that much earwax, and then what force brings it to life and makes it a charlatan? Right, sentient, terrible person earwax <laughs> is is who we have here. Um, and my pitch to you is yes. It's just like Steve Martin's The Jerk, uh-huh. except that it's a cartoon starring Andy Daly. Oh. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm buying that miniseries right now. Figured you would be. Is it going to cover... Pitch was tailored just to you. Is it going to cover the rise of his cult? Because you know, Tree Trunks is a follower of the one true king of Ooh and, and uh, will, will accept nobody else to do her marriage ceremony. So yeah, he's kind of like L. Ron Hubbard in that way. He's okay. kind of um, slowly, you know, he, maybe he's writing texts uh-huh. and uh, distributing pamphlets right. and uh, converting people one by one. That, that might very well be the case, and they're all going to end up on a boat somewhere. So L. Ron Hubbard, but made out of a huge pile of earwax. Yeah, okay. I, I think I can get behind this. Who do you have at number four? My number four... Um, I'll be hard-pressed to ever make a list this guy isn't included on. Mm-hmm. The one and only mm-hmm. Magic Man Magic is number Man. four. I win again, just like always. Only number four. I'm really surprised. I'm trying to temper my uh, <laughs> my Magic Man obsession. Your Magic bit. Mania. To, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, his, his You're a Magic Maniac. Called... It's just like Hulk Hogan. It is. Yeah. The magic mania is running wild on me. I'm tearing <laughs> off my shirt as I speak. Um, All right. What's the pitch for Magic Man, the miniseries? Now, his series is called Plagues. I'm trying to keep it one word or as little as I can. So, sure. like, Stakes was stakes was good. So, uh, I, want, I want every title to be as good as Stakes. Right. So, this one's not as good, but it's on the way. Okay. And right now, it's called Plagues. Plagues. Uh, we finally learned the secret of what happened to Margles on Olympus Mons. And this is my guess. Uh-huh. 
He broke wind near her, and it startled her so bad that she fell over the rim of, vol- <laughs> of a volcano. Wow. Yeah. So you have you have this magic a magic man named Magic Man whose brothers are are gods, uh, Gob, mm-hmm. Grob, Glob, and Grob, and uh, and you're going to rely on a fart joke for that? Uh, why you make it sound so reductive? Well, now, and you also make it sound like you don't enjoy uh, flatulence humor, which I I don't believe for a second. Oh John. come on, I may work in public radio, but I am a guy, so yes, of course I enjoy <laughs> flatulence humor. <laughs> But then we see him unleash his plagues on the people of Mars, his trial, his sentencing, and the slow loss of his capacity for empathy for others. Really, now, in plagues, aren't you just allowing yourself an eight-part series in which you could see Magic Man running around being a jerk? And yes. you're delighted yes. by that? Of course. Okay. Of course. <laughs> but see, I didn't include any of that in the pitch because those wouldn't be selling points to you. Well, that's true. That's true. But I don't know. I mean, part of the Magic Man appeal is the is the whole uh, I win just like always element <laughs> to it. And if he's gonna if he's gonna spend seven of the eight episodes or so being a nice guy to whom bad things happen, I don't know if I'm in. I kind of need well, I need him reveling in his jerkness. I do think that the thing with Margles happens near the beginning of this. Okay. And we see him devolve over the course of uh, eight episodes into into complete full magic man as we know him now. But there's gradients to it, I think. All right. I'll do my number four here. At number four, I have Mr. Pig, formerly known as Just Pig. And, of course, this is the husband to tree trunks and... Uh, You'll remember, do you remember where we first meet Mr. Pig? I actually don't remember where we first meet Mr. Pig. It's the Apple Thief episode where uh, Finn and Jake are trying to track down these these missing apples, and they end up in some jewel thieves' lair tied mm. up. Right, where right. Th- they are going to be eaten by Mr. Pig. And he even says, uh, I'm sorry, y'all. They're making me do this. I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um <laughs> So his whole job is being forced by jewel thieves into eating people, whole, wow. alive. Um, later on, he says that, that he was homeless and that he ate people. Uh, so there's a, a bit of a discrepancy whether it was free will making him eat people or whether he was being coerced into it. But So I, I see the Mr. Pig miniseries as being kind of a, a gritty crime drama. Because I see. He also points to this whole side of, I guess, is the Candy Kingdom, or at least some neighborhood in the Kingdom of Ooh where things really aren't prosperous and, and happy and cheerful. It's a place where you might get eaten by a pig if you cross the wrong jewel thieves. Well, you know, and just like all systems, there has to be some sort of balance. So um, this this dirty cauldron, I'm sure, boils underneath. But it is it does shine an interesting light on Mr. Pig is being this dark character who's seen so many terrible, awful things that he's, uh, he's, he's, he's somehow having to manage without, it doesn't seem like he's seeing he's, he's receiving therapy or anything. He's kind of just forcing it all down. So, you know, he could go, he could go on like a person eating rampage one day. It's well, and I think we hear that clock ticking too, because we mm. we're seeing that anger start to boil over. And I think you know you can dress up nice, and you can move in with tree trunks, and you can you can raise a, a lich baby and call it sweet pea all you want. 
But uh, if you've if you've been through some of this stuff, it's it's a little bit uh, more difficult to shake off. So I would like to see a Mr. Pig miniseries that that traces those roots from from Piglet through the life of crime through through murder. I think we could just safely call it murder. I I think he is he is a, a murderer. I think he may have been coerced. Maybe it's manslaughter. But uh, on through the present, and and I'd like to kind of see where things were going because. Remember, too, at the moment Sweet Pea was adopted, Tree Trunks right. was about to ask him for a divorce. So uh, I want to I want to find out what happened in Mr. Pig's past as well as his future. Wow. Yeah, because right now he's a he's a sub, suppressive murderer raising a devil baby. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot that can come from that. You're right. right. I'm in. Now, number three on my list is a character who I think has been kind of kind of forgotten lately, or at least doesn't appear nearly as much as she used to, which is Lady Rainicorn. Mm-hmm. In an early episode, we meet her parents, Bob and Ethel Rainicorn. And Bob, of course, had fought in the Rainicorn dog wars, thus creating a lot of tension of course. with Jake as to whether or not he was going to be accepted. But, of course... Bob Rainicorn's life was saved by a dog during the, these wars, which uh, lasted for thousands of years. And it was a, a territorial conflict over territory in the crystal dimension. So there's a lot going on with the Rainicorns. Wow. So where, where do they live? It, do they live in a crystal dimension? They don't seem to visit their grandchildren very much. Um, maybe, maybe I'm after a Bob and Ethel Rainicorn miniseries, <laughs> but Lady comes from this place and and moved to Ooh. Why does someone move to Ooh in that kind of situation? I don't know. I think there's a lot going on, um, and and I want to know more about it. And if and if they can all have those uh, voice translator boxes on them, that would help me out. Up on my back. I'll give you both a ride home. That'd be great because I wouldn't want to go through with all the subtitles for eight, you know, eight eight episodes. Um, but now that you paint this picture, it kind of seems like, uh, you know, Bob and Ethel are kind of like World War Two parents, mm-hmm. and um, and they probably tried to keep a very conservative environment. And Lady Rainicorn is like a hippie rebel, right? Who decides to go live with Ooh and bring a dog home. Right, and she's going to have puppies with the dog, and they're not even married. Right, right, and Jake doesn't even live with them. Yeah, no, wow. doesn't even live with them. And and Jake's been known to say this rainicorn thing can't last forever. He has said that. Who do you have at number three? Number three, um, I have a very unlikely choice, but the more I think about it, the more interesting he became to me. I would love to watch a Lich miniseries. The Lich. The lich. <laughs> well, welcome, Mikey. You'll come into my office here at Cartoon Network, and I understand that you have a pitch for me. Yeah. So I'm sitting in front of your desk, and I'm, I'm you got to imagine me throwing my hands out slowly while I say this. Sure. It's called Clouds. Ooh. Yeah. Now, all right. for all we know, the lich started life as a gentle, peace-loving black sheep of a small family of other plagues. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe his brother was killed by a rival plague family. Maybe his sister was mistreated and hurt by her fiance. Okay. Maybe the pressure of trying to uphold the honor of his family became too much for him, and he decides to end all life on Earth. The pitch here is like, this is like if the Godfather was only just parts one and two. 
Uh, oh, wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. And it's a delicious story. He was a nice guy. He was just part of a bad family. Okay. So he, he starts as a nice guy, and it's it's the story of the lich's descent into, into nihilism, into just wanting to destroy everything. Exactly. He tries to fight. He wants a regular job. Like he just, you know, he just wants a, you know, a kid and a wife and a dog. And, and then, you know, the family business is just, it just takes him down. You say he's from a family of plagues? Yes. And I just completely made that up. <laughs> There's no evidence <laughs> of anything like that at all. I'm just trying to give the evil, the evil forest a backstory. Mm, okay. So like a mother and father uh, plague and then they have little plagues. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes, that Those is what things. I'm saying. Those <laughs> things that you just said. Well, I uh, so then uh, does it, wh- where does it develop? Where, where does it go? How far do we go into this story? Do we get to the present day? Do we get to the future? I think we get to the Mushroom War. Okay. I think we get to the Mushroom War. I think we get to him um, fully embracing his plague nature. And not, you know, he's not fighting it anymore. It's going to end all life. Is there a love interest? Is there a sidekick? I think there is a love interest. I think he has to lose her along the way somewhere. I think that's the only way it works. Ah, okay. And that that contributes to the burn it all down aspect. Yeah. Maybe she's his first victim because I like that kind of movie. Yeah. (laughs) That's a tough one. I know. I could tell in the middle of it that it was going. It was, it was a tough sale. <laughs> I, I may not put that at the front of the production queue in terms okay. of getting these things made. Backburn. Uh, I'll, I'll sit with it some more. Yeah. Make yeah, a Google it, Doc. I'll edit it. Uh, who do you have at number two? Number two, I have the entire farm world. The farm world? The farm world. So, you know, when, um, when Finn makes his wish in front of Prismo that the Lich never existed, it creates the alternate timeline called Farm World. Mom? Mom, what's wrong? Finn, I need you to do something for me. It's very important. I need you to take the mule into town today and sell him for as much as you can. What? Sell Bartram, but I love Bartram. What the heck, Mom? I would love to watch a miniseries just based on Farm World itself. Um, I'm thinking maybe after the bomb is exploded and the lich cloud is released, uh, and then we're, we're watching as this farm world slowly basically turns into ooh due to the detonation of the bomb. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be a cool way to witness some of the origins of the characters that we see, like not exactly, but just kind of, um, just changed a little bit because of the alternate timeline. And, um, maybe farm world characters have to go back in time to stop the detonation. Mm-hmm. And so they end up meeting Prismo, and maybe they meet the Finn Inject that we know. So does Farm World exist in the future compared to Adventure Time proper, or does it exist in a parallel universe or in the past? I'm a little confused. I believe that it's parallel because I believe that the uh, the only the, the only difference that was made when Finn made that wish is that the Lich never existed, but the bomb did exist. The Ice King just froze it in Farm World. Right. So I think time went on at the same rate. It's just uh, the bomb is is detonating there uh, way later. So we would get a snapshot of Earth kind of becoming ooh very slowly. Oh, so would the timeline then catch up, or it would stay it would stay parallel or askew from from our timeline? Right. Because uh, in that timeline, Marceline's old, uh, Simon's dead. Right. Uh, Finn's the same age. Uh, Jake is just now being mutated. Um, 
so yeah, there's some changes, but I think that the uh, the main timeline, the main thing that links the timelines is Finn's age. Hmm. And um, yeah, and I think it'd be really interesting if uh, that Finn could meet the Finn that we know. Uh, all right, at number two, I have the Lumpy Space Princess. Oh, my heart! My heart hurts because I fell out of love! I want to hear more from Lumpy Space Princess. I know it's a divisive character. Some people, a little bit of Lumpy Space Princess goes a long way. <laughs> um, and I really did appreciate just the, the dab of LSP that we saw in the Stakes miniseries, just sort of showing up, extruding the occasional wooden stake from her body and, and moving along. Tightness! Ah! Ben, I'm hopping! How about this? Now, early on, I think it might have even been the second episode ever, Trouble in Lumpy Space. Uh, We get to meet the Lumpy Space King and Queen, and there are some problems up in Lumpy Space. Apparently, Lumpy Space Princess's parents are very strict. Uh, There's been uh, an issue of LSP making her mom cry. I said, lump off, mom. Some yelling back and forth. There's a forbidding of use of the royal car. And I want to know more about Lumpy Space. I want to know if it's just up there in space, if it's a mm-hmm. an alternate dimension where things are lumpy. Um, I do know that Lumpy Space people can only ever get married once because they get physically attached to their spouses. So, oh no! Yeah, once once you're married, once you're a lumpy space person, and you marry, then you're physically bonded to that person. Why would anybody want to do that? Well, I don't know, but it really makes you makes you kind of think about LSP's choices in in deciding to leave that world behind, at least as a rebellious teenager. Yeah, she she rarely ever spends any time there, and it's very rare that we see glimpses of other other lumpy space people. Yeah. And, She's just not down with what's going on in lumpy space. Yeah, yeah, and it, it makes her want to just leave. And despite her saying that she she lives like a cool hippie, uh, it's it's clearly something awful is going on up there. I want to know what it is. Uh, I'll go ahead and do my number one, and then you could do your All number right. one. All right. I'm, I'm on the edge of my chair here. Okay. What you got? At number one, I would like an eight-part miniseries about Prismo. Ooh, very interesting. And very, there's there's a lot to go with there. There's a lot to go with because you there's some cosmology to reckon with. We have to figure mm-hmm. out how he became this arbiter, uh, this merchant, really of of dreams and of wishes. We get to find out why he is two dimensional, and we get to find out what the story was with the old man and the dream, and and kind of who. Who set up this situation that that Prisma would be would be the dream of an old man who can grant wishes? But really, what it comes down to for me, Mike, why I really want this Prisma <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> Tell the truth, John. Is it's, just, the, it's okay. Is, You're safe here. Is one line that Prismo says, which is, "Dude, I get out of relationships because I don't want to have a discussion about what we're gonna have for dinner every night." Because when I'm alone, I can just sit on the couch till I'm hungry and eat whatever I want. It's not like, what should we eat for breakfast? We should coordinate. That's a pain. Who is Prismo <laughs> dating? And where? Wow. It's one of these mysteries like, like Princess Bubblegum's internet bill. I mean, and it's relationships, plural. Is he dating other two-dimensional 
wish-granting dreams of other old people? I don't know. Where do they go to eat? Where are these restaurants? I mean, he's he <laughs> he lives a nice life in that he can have a hot tub and be friends with Cosmic Owl and Jake. He can have a hobby like pickling. But what are these relationships? Where does he meet these people? Do they come in for wishes? And I guess, yeah, because we've never seen him outside of that room, right? No. So, wow. So all of these dates happening in... In the room, because <laughs> that, and that could get quite uncomfortable. I could see, I could see him getting tired of having certain conversations very quickly, if uh, if all of these dates are happening in that in that little box. So yeah, so I want to know, I want to know Prismo's story. I want to know the story behind Prismo's powers, but I really want an an eight parter kind of. It's almost like a Sex in the City thing. Like I, I want to, oh, that's nice. I want yeah. an arc about Prismo's dating life and the foibles and and things that that happen over the course of of that attempted uh, dating life. I wonder if the old guy just dreams about bad dates all the time. It could be. It could be. He's just having date nightmares recurring constantly. Right. Okay. Timpani, drum roll. My number one. Uh, everyone's favorite person. Mine. Yours. Uh, Nico Cases. Uh, <laughs> my number one character who I'd like to see a miniseries of is Martin the Human. <laughs> you know me. I'm a funny guy. Martin the Human. Martin, Martin the Dad. The dad the Human. Yes. Dad the Human, exactly. Wow. So, the way we set this one up. All right. As he transitions with Tignataro into his new life form, <laughs> he's forced to look back over his life. Uh, we meet his parents, who will be named Joshua and Margaret, just to confuse us. Okay. We see his greatest shame, his high school homecoming football game, in which he falls into a Gatorade cooler filled with fully cooked Thanksgiving turkeys. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Just trust my process. Uh, we meet process. Finn's mom, who is very probably Susan Strong, uh-huh. and we finally hear what kind of magical jive he told her to convince her to have a child with him. Right. And here's the pitch, John. Okay, ready for I'm this? ready. It's a shot-for-shot shot remake of Citizen Kane. Sold. Yes. <laughs> I'm buying yes. I'm buying that. I felt really good series. about that. <laughs> why, why Citizen Kane? Because it's the best movie. It's the best movie. <gasps> Adam Muto has been with Adventure Time for a very long time. He storyboarded some of the first episodes of the show, including Trouble in Lumpy Space and Slumber Party Panic. And in the last couple years, he stepped in for Pendleton Ward, the show's creator, as executive producer. We've had him on Conversation Parade once before, and we're very glad to have him back. Hello, Adam. Hello. So where we're at now, with the season basically being over, does that lessen or change your workload very much at all? You know, we're basically in constant production, so maybe the the things that I'm working on change. So I might not have as much posts, but we're already in pre-production on the next season. So it it never really ends. It's always kind of a train. That's how our that's how our timing director uh, described it once. It's like it's just a train. It's a tunnel, and you just keep going. And there is no <laughs> they're like glimpses of light, but it's just it, it keeps going. You know, looking looking at this season, it seems that uh, the show has kind of gone into answer mode with a lot of the characters. We're seeing a lot of backstories. We're seeing a lot of uh, origin stories. And um, typically, if you look at a show, um, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how the template goes for epic uh, cartoon shows, but uh, a lot of shows that are kind of mystery based or 
to generate questions. When they start going into answer mode, it's usually when they're closer to the end of their run than the beginning. Uh, does this mean Adventure Time is kind of winding down in any form? It's sort of hard to know from the inside. I think the the answers kind of come up when when a story presents itself or it feels like we haven't paid off something in long enough time. I don't think we have like a diagram of where we're going to reveal certain things. It's it's more born out of the stories I think we want to tell. But yeah, part of it is the show's been on this long, so it's kind of hard if there are questions that you kind of suggest or just naturally are suggested by the episodes and you're willfully avoiding them. Uh, I don't know how long you can do that without just seeming like you're avoiding the elephant in the room. We spent a lot of time this season, uh, especially with the miniseries, talking about Marceline. Is, is, is there a pretty consistent vision of how the creators see her? I think so, but in, in a different way. Uh, because she's like a vampire, we were approaching it a lot of the time. Like she, she wasn't like eternal and wise. She was like a teenager who basically got stuck being a teenager, and she's been a teenager for a very long time. Uh, so her development sort of arrested at that point. So that also made her kind of hard to ride for some of the artists because they couldn't really figure out how to access that part of her. So this latest miniseries kind of took that element and, and had her address it kind of head on. Hmm. And that's kind of what we built that story around. And, uh, you know, the, the thrust for her seemed to be that she was trying to reclaim her mortality. She ends up mostly in the same position as she started in. How would you say that she had been changed after going through that process? Well, I think before she kind of played, I mean, it was like, she's the cool girl. And I don't know how you write that. You can't just be cool. That's not, that's not a personality. It it was just (laughs) (laughs) beneath that. She, you know, she had a lot of uh, things that she was self-conscious about and insecure about. And I think now she's kind of accepted what it means to be this eternal thing and that she can still sort of force her own changes without actually living that short life that she's kind of Hmm, maybe fetishizing a little at the beginning of the miniseries. I noticed or or we noticed on the show that a lot of what we've seen this season um, seems to be revolving around the concept of like pattern interruption and characters wanting to kind of find, uh, new ways to exist was this something that was um that was kind of brought out consciously hmm let's think about that um usually over the course of a season we might have have sort of a theme that we're thinking about but it's never so explicit that you could track it through every single episode it's more of like a, a zeitgeist for that season uh, but yeah, that is something for for us over analysts to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's internal. Like it's it's like if last season we were sort of thinking about life, this season we're kind of thinking about identity and and who you are. So yeah, I guess that would factor into it. Kind of if what you're doing is what you need to be doing, and if, or if you need to sort of change. I don't think we phrased it as pattern interruption, but I guess I guess that does apply. Well, yeah, you know, we we, we when we look at um, you know Marceline wanting to change who she's been, we look at um, uh, Princess Bubblegum wanting to change. Well, you know, change, I guess identity is the, is the best way to put it because her identity up until this point has been uh, very attached to her duties as princess, her obligations, and for her to try to find a way to exist outside of that, and you know, for the King of Ooh to try to you know, take every part of what she was doing and, and just, and, and keep that 
thing going, but insert himself into it. So, yeah, I think um, yeah, identity was definitely uh, in the forefront. Is there something that shapes these themes going forward into each season? You know, it's I think it's it's partially planned and partially autobiographical. It's just what we're thinking at at the time. And even like identity, I guess you could say that for any season is about identity. But this one was also like, <laughs> I think it was specifically like using kind of doppelgangers and these doubles. So you have you have uh, Bonnie and you have Nettie and you have Princess Bubblegum and you have the King of Ooh and you have Marceline and you have the Vampire King. And I think that kind of became a motif that uh. repeated where you have these these doubles that you could kind of reflect on the main character with. I see. Um, speaking of Bonnie and Nettie, um, one thing that kind of struck me, uh, and, and it kind of has always struck me about the show, is kind of the emotional sensitivity that you guys seem to give uh, these characters. And, and in the ways they treat each other, there seems to be a, a, a high level of emotional sensitivity. Um, in showing how Nettie was born, um, that that fall from the mother gum and hitting the rock and kind of uh, kind of being born in pain and, and kind of not really being able to develop past that. It kind of struck me as sort of like a PTSD kind of situation, like Nettie being, being post-traumatic. Um, was, would you say that that's, that, that would be a correct lens to look at a character like Nettie? For? I don't know if there's a correct lens. I, I don't want to go so, uh, literal with <laughs> like, sure. this is the one interpretation okay. of that character. Uh, cause yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if, if that had not happened, would he have been completely fine? Uh, that's a good question to kind of ponder on. Or was there something else Bubblegum could have done? I think it's more important to kind of raise that question and, and how she reacted to it rather than say one way or the other, this is what he represents sure. literally. Sure. Um, and it was also funny to have him fall in that and just start screaming. Uh, she had such a, <laughs> she had such a peaceful, you know, fall and she's singing. It's all happy. Uh, but yeah, he, he, that is one interpretation I will say. And you know, and and in my in my uh, excitement about that interpretation, I extrapolated it <laughs> to include, um, you know, Marceline being abandoned by all of her important caretakers. Uh, Simon kind of losing his mind, even like a magic man losing marbles on the Olympus Mons. It just seemed that um, there's there are some very important characters who've had uh, these traumatic things happen to them, and um, they're trying to figure out. They're all, they're always trying to figure out how to get along. And in the macro of ooh, it being kind of like post mushroom war, uh, it seems like there's been kind of a, a mass trauma and everybody's trying to figure out how to get along. And I think sometimes that kind of plays into the identity thing too, as as there aren't many you know, there's a hero manual, but there aren't many manuals, you know, in existence of, of things to tell these these beings how to live, you know. Um but then again, <laughs> as I'm sitting here telling you that, it seems very overanalytic once again. No, no, I think that's true. I think I think that's what makes it interesting is that you don't have a mastermind or an authority figure who's saying this is the way life needs to be. I think everyone is trying to figure it out and they make mistakes and they kind of set up systems that maybe are flawed completely. Mm. But that's that's what's in place. So they try to live under that structure for a while and then when it fails you know, they have to figure out something else. And I think that's more interesting to us than a clock where everything is just sort of moving according to this very specific plan. And you can kind of see the path. I think it's, it's a train 
it's a train and tracks, and you're kind of building the train tracks as you're as the train is rolling. Mm. Like life, always comes back to that. So, I mean, is the Mushroom War kind of a catalyst that made ooh what it is? I mean, when when me and uh, John, my co-host, talk about some of the things we notice on the show, we find ourselves saying sometimes like, hmm, maybe after the Mushroom War this is how things went or after the mushroom war, uh, things are like they are now. Um, like to what extent should we be, lo- we be looking at the mushroom war to kind of make sense of, Ooh, as we know it. I think as a catalyst is probably the, the best way to think of it rather than trying to draw a direct line to every single thing that exists in this world. Or, I mean, in, in Ooh present day, because there's probably a lot of things that happen in between, you know, it, it wasn't just, Everything blew up, and then it became the road. It, it's more <laughs> things things went bad, and then obviously the people who were left had to figure out something to do, and then eventually it became ooh. But what happened in between is is sort of still mysterious. Um, I think the mushroom war itself will, will won't really show that much because it's just profoundly depressing to talk about that side of you know most of the post-apocalyptic stories i've seen usually skip that because once you get right. into like explanations and the politics of the situation it it just seems very dated or naive i think so it's, it's it was more interesting yeah. to kind of skip past that part and figure out what would happen after and you know could there be good that becomes is is apocalypse the end of the world I mean, <laughs> uh, obviously it is, but is is that the end of everything, or is it just sort of a new a new chapter, and then the cycle kind of renews itself? Yeah, and and I do think it's 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 great uh, as a catalyst as well, because right now we're getting to see a world a thousand years after that, and like a thousand years into, um, you know, some mutated beings or you know whatever's left trying to figure out how to uh, how to live in a world with no rules and, you know, some things, rem- some beings remember before and some don't. Um, and in figuring things out, we have Finn, who is the last human that we're aware of. And we seem to have noticed a maturation in him this season. He's less quick to rush into battle. And he seems a little bit more likely to try to talk things through with people. Will we see a continued maturation of Finn going forward? Will he get older and older in front of our eyes? I mean, I think it's inevitable. Like, as, as as the show goes on, the actor who plays him is getting older. What that actually means, we're, we're sort of figuring out as we go along. Sometimes people ask us, like, why doesn't his character model change? Because, you know, he's still basically the same model from season one. And it's, you know, hard to update a model with age without losing a lot of the appeal of it. So we, mm-hmm. we have those two things fighting, where emotionally he's getting older, and physically he's still wearing shorts and the white hat. <laughs> I, mean, I think our, our one attempt to kind of answer that was uh, in one of the shorts, Finn's asleep and Bimo sneaks up to him and he plucks out a mustache hair. And this was a Steve Wolf heart mm. joke. And he says, Forever young. And he's got a whole pile of <laughs> mustache hairs, which he's been plucking out. Mustaches belong in the cupboard. Mustaches belong in the cupboard. Are other characters also maturing? Is it like is Jake maturing at all? I know a lot of characters are like if you look at Marceline or PB, they're they they seem to be you know almost ancient and they they seem to mature if at all very very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but a character like Jake, who is 
uh, mortal, at least in the sense of, of of how we know most of the characters. Is he also getting older? He's definitely getting older, but what that means for him is probably different than what it means for uh, Finn. I think the way we've kind of approached Jake aging is maybe the weirdest way possible that I had not really occurred to me uh, was like having his kids and they're kind of going through their life cycle and they're right. sort of reflecting maybe the maturation he should be going through and sort of his relationship with his kids. So we kind of skipped straight to middle ages with, you know, his relationship with his adult children. And I think that's, that's kind of weird, but it's also interesting to explore because he is this kind of preternatural kid who lives in a treehouse with his best friend who's a boy and a robot. But he also has, you know, five kids who have their own lives and these sort of rich interior lives. And he's trying to relate to them as a father at the same time as he's still kid-like himself. And, like, how far can we go with that? Like, there's an episode coming up where you meet his uh, granddaughter. <laughs> and, like, him as wow. the grandpa is, is funny to me because he's still, he's still just Jake. But he's also trying yeah. to play that role as as the... Uh, the family head of this this family that doesn't usually need him that much. <laughs> right. He's like he's kind of permanently an uncle, so it's interesting to think about him as a grandfather. Yeah, it's it's weird. He was kind of ripped off in a way because he didn't get that chance to be a father for more than a couple of days, and that was like his window. If if he had read that mm-hmm. manual, maybe he would have known that. But it's like it was it was so small, and he was so ready for it, and then it was kind of out of his hands and. I don't know. Sometimes the other writers kind of get down on Jake as as a father figure, and I I always thought he never got the chance really. How much? I mean, you you seem to be working on these things nonstop. Um, how much do you think about Adventure Time when you're not at work? Boy, <laughs> too 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 much. It's it's one of those things where even when you're not working on it, it has a way of following you home, and you'll think about it when you don't want to necessarily. It just kind of pops in your head. You're thinking about a better way to do something or an idea or just a solution to something that came up earlier in the day. And it's it's obsessive, and that's that's what a lot of the writers and storyboard artists do, I think, is that it just follows them home, and they're thinking about it. Because they want it to be good, and they want it to be real, and they want it to be right. personal, and it's hard to turn it off. I think once you once you engage on that level, we appreciate you and all that hard work and all that overthinking. And uh, <laughs> we're here to overthink. When you guys quit, that's when we start overthinking. So uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Oh, you're very welcome, and uh, thank you for even doing this show in the first place. It's it's so flattering that people who create stuff are interested enough in what we make to make a podcast just to talk about the thing. That's that's maybe the highest compliment. That's Adam Muto, executive producer of Adventure Time. Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast, is a production of Infinite Guest and American Public Media. It's hosted by me, Open Mike Eagle, and John Moe. The Adventure Time end credit song you're hearing was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. The Daddy Fry song you heard earlier was written by Rebecca Sugar and sung by Olivia Olson. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Special thanks to Cartoon Network for their support. And we want to hear from you. Go to infiniteguest.org, find Conversation Parade, and find an episode and leave a comment in our comment section. John and I love to chat with you over there. 
You can also click on the link to send us an email from that page. And we're on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Eagle, and he's at John Moe. When we're at Infinite Guest. <laughs>